0: Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I talk to creative people about how they do their thing, how they hang in there, how they keep it going. Today, my guest is Philip Harrison. He's an editor on the TV show 13 Reasons Why. His previous shows are Mr. Robot and Glee. And I think he might be the first editor I've talked to. So we had a really fun conversation. Before we get to that, I want to tell you about something new that I'm doing with my cast business. It's called lifecast occasion and what that means is I come to your event, say it's a big birthday party or a wedding, and I interview people, do short little interviews, and then I edit it all together in this sort of audio collage and it makes an incredible heirloom and a and a memory of the night. I want to also mention my Patreon group, which is uh, once a month I post a special episode of Dennis Anyone. sometimes it's different kinds of interviews or kind of random fun stuff um. And you can join for as little as a dollar a month at Patreon.com. So thank you to all my Patreons for being a Patreon person. All right. Um, That's enough. Pluggy plugs. Uh, Let's get on with the interview. This is Philip Harrison. Hey there, it's Saturday afternoon in beautiful Silver Lake, California. I'm in the apartment of Philip Harrison, editor extraordinaire. I think you might be Hi, my Dennis. first editor that I've <laughs> had on the podcast.
1: That's great. Editors should be seen. They should from be time
0: to celebrated. Time. They do very important things.
1: But rarely are. So
0: it's, I know. it's an
1: honor to, to be invited to do this, Dennis. I
0: love that. Now, what's your most recent gig that you've wrapped up?
1: Uh, I just finished season two of Thirteen Reasons Why. On Netflix. Yeah. Um, so that's been out for two or three weeks and gone through a big reaction in the world, which has been really interesting to see.
0: Yeah, are you surprised by any of the the sort of threads no, of commentary? No,
1: not not really. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm always anticipating when something comes out. Like yeah, I, I get like it's always about my work. Actually, right. I'm worried they're going to see something I did wrong but i'm always curious to see how the world reacts to it and with this show I, I was lucky enough to be on a show that i knew the world was waiting for so uh i know i knew with just like with season 1 that right. they were going to pick it apart and uh that's what they did um you know i i just i know it's a controversial show um but i just you know i love that it it goes there and talks about stuff uh, you know important things that nobody nobody else, else is really talking talks about. about.
0: Yeah. Now I haven't seen the show, um, but I understand the the first season was uh, a character had committed suicide, correct? Yep. And then yeah. the this is in the aftermath of that.
1: Exactly.
0: Um, how how was the second season approached?
1: It was approached a lot uh, differently, and that the first season was really about two characters. Right. It was about Clay and it was about Hannah. Right. And uh, everything kind of spun off of those two characters. Right. Um, So you met all the other characters that everyone sort of fell in love with kind of along the way. Right. In season two, uh, Hannah has already passed. It's been six months later. And it really became more of an ensemble show. Right. Uh, So like a lot of the characters have equal weight and it's really about what they're going through and how they're reacting to what happened. Um, in some cases, some characters, like Jessica character, she also went through her own assault. So we're actually seeing her on her uh, journey of, of trying to come to terms with what happened to her. So it's much more of an ensemble show. Yeah. Um, and instead of the structuring device of the tape recordings right. that Hannah left, it's sort of structured on the trial that's happening because Hannah's parents are suing the school. So... Each episode is a one of our beloved characters sort of going up on the stand. Interesting. Um, but it's not very much like a procedural show. Yeah. It's like that's in there, but it's more about... It's really just more tied to what the characters are going through. Now, did you work on the first season? No, this is my second... Just the, first, the second season. Yeah. There you
0: go. What's it like to work for Netflix. Is it a different? Does it feel different at all, or is it the same?
1: You know, it's just it's it's pretty much the same. I, I mean, uh, that they have notes like any network does, you know. But uh, they really believe in their creators, you know. So all their notes were helpful and sort of in support of what uh, Brian Yorkie our showrunner, was trying to do. And uh, so it, it 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 felt good, you know. Yeah. Uh, the heart. Uh, the biggest thing is uh basically we deliver 13 shows all at once so yeah it's that's, that big boom, bitch. that that's a lot to get done And this past year we had some obstacles there were fires up in Northern California oh, yeah that I remember canceled hearing about shooting, that. shooting for uh two or three weeks but uh yeah but uh, we we got through it all there you um, go yeah now does the mood of a show
0: affect you like if it's a serious show or it's a sad show or does it kind of spill over into your day-to-day mood yeah. when you're working with so much, you know, footage? I
1: was I was sort of scared to work on 13 Reasons Why because, um, I mean, I watched the first season and was totally affected like everybody right. else, you know. And, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to work on it um, uh, without getting into too much detail. It just felt like... Uh, I could go back to high school and my growing up experience, but now as an adult, right, you and can see it through a different set of eyes. Different set of eyes, exactly, and um, and sort of be in support of the greater good, you know. And I think if I had been on season one when like the su- like cut the editor cut those suicide scenes, like oh my gosh, you know, he deserves the. A- deserves a real prize. There. Right, because so,
0: you're working on a scene for days and days and days. Yeah.
1: But there were some scenes in season two that were a struggle. There's another sexual assault that is pretty pretty tough to, to, to be with. But, you know, uh, luckily, I, I didn't feel like I was taking it home right. that much. Like, we were working with a lot of great people, and so... It was a pleasant it's, environment. It's nice to have yeah. a family there of co-workers yeah. and you know it all it all felt good.
0: So, here's what I wonder. After an episode of television gets shot, you get all of this footage. How much directed do you have at the start of getting the footage? Does the well, are certain takes like the director likes this one or how, what happens after an episode is shot and it goes to you?
1: Yeah, it 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 depends. Some directors like to do their circled takes and others don't. Right. It basically goes through stages, and right. on television, things go really pretty quickly. Like right. on a on a movie, where you'll work for like four to eight months, depending on the size of the movie, right? Or longer sometimes. On an episode of television, you're really talking about six weeks. <laughs> six weeks. Yeah, to it's going weeks, on television really fast. So, right. um, uh, I basically work on my own for the first cut, which will take about 2 weeks while they're shooting. They shoot for 8 days and I'm cutting for 2 weeks to do
0: that initial cut. Two and and I,
1: I'm laying in music, sound right. effects, and I get help by uh, editors have assistant editors who can right. kind of help you. And you're doing I'm doing everything to make it seem as much a completed episode right. as I possibly can. So that you could watch it and be like Oh, it seems to have everything there, you know.
0: Yeah, and sometimes you have creative direction from the director. Well, and then sometimes you're, you're dealing with less. Then
1: you go into a next, second stage where you go in with the the director for yeah. a few days on each episode, and they take it a little farther, which is great because it gives you more time to work on things. Yeah. And, uh, but then the final thing in television is you go on with a producer, and the producer is really the the main person in television. And, you know, you'll spend however m- amount of time is necessary getting it towards what uh, he wants. You right. Know? And, you know, that's part of the skill of an editor is to keep moving the ball down the field while also sort of taking care of each person's vision right. along the way. You know, because I want the uh, I don't like to fight with people I like right. to sort of support them so I'm sort of supporting the director first and letting them know that I'm there for them but then I've got to be able to pivot and do it the way the producer wants right and I feel like that's one of my best skills is really being able to listen and key in on right. what those people are actually saying you know and disconnect from what I think it should be but right. really hear it and Um, hopefully by now have the skills to be able to execute it and and get it to where they need it. Well,
0: because in TV, the directors are often journeymen. They come and do an episode and then... Per episode. But it's the producers that are really... The the visionary of
1: the show, absolutely, right? yeah. They, they, they call them showrunners for a reason. There you I go. <laughs> now
0: I read an interview with you, and you talked about having a mirror set up in your editing room. Oh, that's funny. I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> Tell well, us about that. Well,
1: this was a particular editing room. Here is the thing: It's like I find it really important to look my look at my directors while I am working at, with them. You know, I want them to know that I am listening to them and right. really taking in. And it's, believe me, it's really easy with as much work as you're doing and everything to have some miscommunication and they don't think you're... I've had that moment where it's like someone's getting angry at me because they don't think I'm listening to them. Right. And to me, that's the most important thing, you know. And in this particular job on Mr. Robot, um, the editing room was really small. Right. So uh, there wasn't room on the left or right to sort of... You couldn't sit side by there. side. Yeah, no. So the mirror, I just kind of set it up. It it was a little odd, I have to say. It's like a little creepy to see right. someone looking at you in the mirror. But it actually helped, you right. know, because I could kind of keep my hands on the keyboard and looking at the monitor but you can see my editing chair right there. Yeah, it's like a... It's like a saddle chair.
0: It's like a saddle. And
1: it's really good for spinning quickly yeah. and like looking and communicating. And it saved my butt quite a bit. So,
0: saved your butt in well, what way? I mean, I, physically? I've
1: had jobs where at the end of the job, just just because it was an intense job yeah. and I was working a lot, where my butt and leg got really numb. Like, wow. And I actually had to get some physical therapy to kind of work that out. I'm sure. And the saddle chair has helped me yeah. to, it's like a different seating position. It's yeah. a little more active.
0: I'm going to take a picture of that saddle chair to so, put on the website because yeah, it's yeah. very unique.
1: You feel free to sit on it. Yeah, I want I'd to try like to. it. But your feet are
0: on the ground though too, right? Your
1: feet are on the ground. You're a little bit higher. a little bit higher. Little your higher. posture is a little bit. Uh, yeah. Your spine is a little bit. Instead of that slump that you get yeah. in a chair. You're always forced up into like more of a, a correct arch, yeah, back, which helps. It just helps me a lot.
0: Yeah. I love that. Now, some of the previous shows you worked on, Mister Robot, Glee, yeah, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah. It's interesting that like what did you work on before Mister Robot? Was that Glee?
1: That was Glee. Yeah. So,
0: how does somebody switch gears in terms of genre like that as an editor? Is it an interview process or?
1: Well, um, I mean, I was really lucky in terms of, like, getting the job. Yeah, um, how did that happen? Because I just have, that was definitely right place, right time kind of thing. Right. Um, the showrunner of Mr. Robot is Sam Esmail, yeah. And um, one of the writers on the show is a great editor named Adam Penn, who's also a writer. He's many talents. Um, but he had, for years, been working on American Horror, another Ryan Murphy show. Right. And at that time, you know, uh, Glee and American Horror, like, yeah. as opposite a show you could have, they were cutting in the same uh, editing right. facility at Paramount. So we got to know each other, and when the opportunity came up for Mr. Robot, he suggested me. Um, even though I'd been cutting Glee, basically. Right. And... Um, uh, you know I, I don't know like that job that interview I was like so tired I had just been like we were finishing up the season on Glee right. I was exhausted I did my best in the interview but I kind of felt like eh. at least they knew that I really loved the pilot which right. is what they had shown us beforehand um, but it was the just uh, you know you'd have to ask them why they hired me but um, it was just that happenstance, you know, cool. of, of, of someone they knew, I think, and in the right place, right time.
0: Now, you got nominated for an award. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Ace Eddie—that's American Cinema Editors Eddie. Yeah, it's uh, very cool. It's a huge honor. Did you go to it's a sem- ceremony? Yeah, there was a big. There's a big, you know, annual awards ceremony in, yeah. in late January. I think it is. It's like right when all the big awards are. Of course, happening. you got dolled so up. It, I got my <clears throat> tuxedo and uh, away I went. It was, Did you it win? Was awesome. I didn't win, Who which won? was really disappointing. Right. I forget the editor's name. Uh, uh, he. He had edited uh, the, I think it was the pilot for This Is Us. Oh, right. uh, Which is, is, uh, yeah, a great show. So uh, understandable why that might have won. So from what I've seen of Mr.
0: Robot, it looks like you get opportunities to kind of really do interesting things with editing. Is that... like kind of inventive and jump cuts and
1: absolutely I mean uh, I've been very lucky to work on some of like the most uh, inventive and imaginative uh, episodes so there was one episode that had uh, like basically a a, a, like a drug uh, montage somebody was on Adderall I think he was on Adderall the lead character Elliot so he's going through all kinds of things and they just give you a whole bunch of material and you're picking a, a part and trying to make it play as most imaginatively as you can, um, which is great. Like as someone who worked on documentaries, where which is really reliant on uh, editing and montages to get like a montage like that, it's so much fun. Um, I also got to work on, like, an episode that opens uh, in a 1980s, 90s-style sitcom with Alf showing right, up. Right, I the saw middle. the clip of that. Yeah, which, that was the episode I was nominated <clears throat> for the Ace uh, Eddie Award. And it's just so, like, how can you resist that, yeah. you know? Uh, uh, but, you know, in the same episode, like, we had this, like, total, like, heist scene, you know? And then the episode ended with this really tender scene between uh, Christian uh, Slater and uh, the lead character as a young boy, and it's just so many editing opportunities in Mr. Robot. It was it was a thrill.
0: Yeah. Was there something really kind of out there that you tried that that they ended up liking?
1: Well, uh, you know the the. One example that just comes to the top of my head, is, like in the drug montage, yeah, is originally like, uh, they had shot the shot, like from the street, like looking through a, a row of stores kind right. of thing. And Elliot was like crossing the frame. And originally, uh, Sam wanted to do something that was like a, a web, a web uh, a, like a page on a computer where it's kind of that blurred right. motion effect, you know, that you yeah. see sometimes. Yeah on a screensaver, but they had shot so many different takes and Rami Malik had done like a different performance on each take. Right. And it was like a a solid shot. And I realized I could split screen all those takes. And suddenly it was like five Rami Malik's with completely different personalities. And uh, that was one thing, like you know, and he was like, had, "Yes, yes, perfect, yeah." Well, cool, that's um, so cool. So that kind of thing. It's like a pleasure when you can come up with an idea and the director like really loves it. Yeah.
0: Um, when you first got into like uh, series television dramas, comedy stuff like that, when when are you the most nervous when you're going to show somebody a cut? Is it the first producer's cut, or are you are you pretty confident all the way through?
1: get a little bit nervous uh, every every time, you know. Um, I guess it's gotten easier over the years. You just kind right. of go for it. I think that, like, first time, like, I'm always a little waiting to... It's funny, because some directors will, like, give you a message right away, like, yeah. nice job, look good, you know, yeah. everything's... We'll get into it tomorrow. Right. But then, like some people, they don't like send a thing, <laughs> and I and get like, a little like, "Oh, did I? They blow? Mu- they I must have, I must it. have really yeah. messed it up, you yeah. know." But like, I have a practice actually, like um, before I screen it, like because yeah. uh, it just it does take so much work and it's so subjective, you know. Of course. Um, so what you may think it's great, but they want to go with something else. But I always try and like before the screening like go off by myself and just have a moment where I just say to myself, like, good job, you know, And so you good. Did great, And even no if, matter how this goes, it's yeah, just, yeah, you, exactly. You and I have to, I can, I, I do have a little bit of a tendency to like, Internalize that I've done something wrong a little right. bit, so that's become my yeah.
0: Don't know anything about that.
1: That's become yeah. <laughs> that's become my like one of those little things I can do to yeah. like sort of support yeah. myself. Take a you know? moment. Yeah, I like exactly.
0: that. Is there a snack involved? A coffee it's or not anything? A snack. It's well, usually, I, I feel it's like there usually, should be a food. It's usually it's usually
1: in the mirror in the yeah. bathroom. Yeah, exactly. So, I like that.
0: Uh, yeah, I would have a pop tart tie-in, maybe with, yeah. a, with Well, I protective...
1: uh, my whole diet has been changing, so I'm like. I'm, in what way? I used to love pop tarts, but I, I don't eat pop tarts at all. All right, um, I, I became either, but... a vegetarian in the last year.
0: And how have you? How have you found it?
1: Uh, pretty good, pretty yeah. good. I don't find myself like really missing meat a mm-hmm. lot. I wish I had more choices sometimes because yeah. it's like you really have to develop your your choices, and it's, yeah. if you've never eaten that way but i don't find it that hard to like not eat meat i just get a little bored
0: what made you want to become a vegetarian I,
1: it was for health reasons yeah i had some uh cholesterol stuff all you know, right so
0: i've, I've been there yeah. um what did you notice when you changed your diet uh
1: i noticed my cholesterol went down right <laughs> did you feel different day to day Not really. Not that much. I expected to feel more different. I wanted that experience. That spring. Oh my God. Oh my God. Why didn't I do this? And it's just kind of the same. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Thank you for being honest. (laughs) Um, I think editors must have a very interesting perspective on actors because you see everything they do. And there must be certain actors where no matter what, you can always cut to them because they've got it. And other ones maybe need a little massaging or whatever. Um. What's interesting about that to you? Like, are there certain? Well, is it a, is it such a pleasure to edit certain actors because they give you such variety, or I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, I will say this, and to just say this to actors in general, yeah. Like, uh, like I love an actor that's like committed to what they're doing, you know. And even like, I, I mean, I worked on a variety of stuff at different levels, you know, and like. I really value that actor that, like, despite questions that they could legitimately have about what they're working on, they still stay committed to what they're doing and and staying in the moment and staying with their character because that saves my life so much of the time. In what way? Because if you have an actor that's really breathing and living and in it, It's like, you can always go to them and you have that. It's like, they, they, they bring the whole thing up, you know? Um, like I had one actor after a film I had uh, edited and, um, she came up to me and she was like, you know, thank you so much because I was really worried about this film. And I said, thank you so much because your performance really helped be able to like, right. Complete the film on a certain level, you know? Yeah. And it, it, it was really a, a huge help. And, you know, of, of course, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I, I love characters who are really committed to their performance and um, really there emotionally. Um, but I also, like, I've worked on a certain amount of comedy stuff, you yeah. know? Right and um, there too, it's like when. People continue to show up with their chops. It's such a pleasure, you know. Um, timing is everything. So if the actors are bringing their timing skills to it, right. it's like it just elevates everything, you know. And then you get into what's really important, which is the story and how it's told and making that right. as like, pleasurable and as real as possible, you know. So it's more, of, for you, it feels like a commitment,
0: a question of commitment as opposed to variety, or choices, or...
1: Absolutely. That, that's the word Absolutely. that resonates Absolutely. with you. Absolutely. Now, on the other hand, like, like, you know, directors come in all shapes and sizes, too, right. you know? And, like, there's something to be said for really, like, nailing a performance and really having a perspective and point of view and following through on that intention. We've got it, you know? Yeah. But there's also a pleasure. There are some directors who... When they work with really good actors, experienced actors, they start in one place at the beginning of the dailies, you know, and they really work in different directions, you know, and they can go really quickly and they can just do different shades, you know, and they can explore this direction and move that way. And they have that confidence to be able to like really pull out all the stops and get all those different shades, you know? Yeah. And I think that makes it fun for when you're working with the director because you can really explore different possibilities that maybe you didn't, you didn't know, see, you don't see automatically, you yeah. know? Um, and by doing that, you can sort of get a deeper, a deeper show, you know?
0: Yeah. If an actor were to be described as an editor's dream of an actor... What qualities would they have? Is it a do you like it if they are consistent in terms of like, oh, they always remember to pick up the coffee with their right hand? Is it is there some of it that's sort of mechanical?
1: Well, I I don't necessarily think of it that way. I mean, you can tell when an actor really has an awareness of what the editor does, or maybe I don't know. It's it's hard for me to say because it's like, so probably you, hard to you, quantify. You, well, you I mean, an actor, it's like you probably have heard this a good listener you know yeah and uh someone that you can really see in their eyes that they're listening right but it's also like a reaction is so important to an editor because it's like a reaction is where you get meaning right right so it's like if someone's saying something and then there's a reaction yeah um that's when you're telling the audience like oh there's something here you know yeah And sometimes you don't have those reactions, you know, and you have to like hunt for one, and like, okay, I'll take it from this take, and maybe it's at the end of the take. Yeah, he did scratch his nose before we started. So it's like, and again, it's back to the commitment. It's when an actor is really in there and and is aware of that's part of their job is to is to have those reactions, you know. And I think that's just part of a talent that actors have too, you know. But, I mean, there's also, it's like, delivery of a line is, a, yeah. is an important thing. But it's interesting, when if you watch films, that like, you think of those famous lines, you know? Yeah. Like, very often, they're not on camera, you know? Um, uh, so, it's like they're delivered through the quality of the audio. But it's like, not everything is on camera. Right. Sometimes it's the reaction know? that it, makes it laugh. Exactly. And it's layered in a different yeah. way. But, you know, it's like... All of those things that actors bring are important, you know, and it depends on the genre you're working when you're going to bring them. So whether it's like a physicality and a rhythm um, or a spareness or, you know, it's just an actor who's developed their tool so that they bring all that stuff when it's needed. Have you
0: worked on a project where there was a lot of improvisation?
1: Uh, Not terribly. I don't I don't. Think. Now, I mean, uh, working on things like Crazy Ex Girlfriend, yeah. there's a certain amount of Lucy-goose-y, improvisation, bit, yeah. but it's more like do I use this joke or do I use that joke? Right. As opposed to something like Curb Your Enthusiasm, right. where they're like get, spinning the whole story yeah. as they go you yeah know? which is a total like editing skill to be able to like pull that together as well the closest i would have to that is the documentary stuff that i've cut where yeah. it's really you're writing in the cutting room
0: yeah um you worked on glee which i liked glee mm-hmm. loved it I when loved the kids glee. sing yeah um you were quoted in this, this article
1: Uh, guilty pleasure, occasionally I will put on Glee even though it's been two or three years. Yeah. And I will watch like a musical sequence I cut or like some old song. Even it's like terrible, right? No it's It's not. It's like it's it's, it's it's, living in the past or something, but it's like occasionally I'll do that. You'll pop in the That's your Norma
0: Desmond moment. You'll bring up
1: I just really I enjoyed cutting those musical numbers. Yeah, i I like just getting into a song. And going on your instincts, you know, and building this story. Well, they were making
0: a musical, but they had to move really fast. When they did the musical numbers, was there a lot of coverage?
1: Or or was it... Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can I tell you my, my job interview story for yes. Glee? I want to hear about so, it. So, uh, uh, I went in... Uh, I have been sort of connected through a producer for years, Um but and been trying to keep connected with the post-producers uh, on on the show. And they suddenly had a need for an editor. And so they called me up and they said, we want you to come in, we want to talk to you about it. But I got there and um, before talking about anything, they led me into an editing room. Uh, they had a musical sequence set up and they, uh, uh, they were like, Fifty tracks of picture in multi tracks so fifty different tracks stacked on top of each other for like a three-minute sequence. Wow! And they said, um, they said, "We'll be back in three hours." Well, wow! Let's see, let's see what you can do. Oh my god! And it was like it, I had—you weren't expecting that. No, I was not expecting it. And I had a moment where I was like. This, is, this yeah. is over before. Am I a man or a mouse? This is over before it started. Yeah. But I just kind of kept calm. And I got my head together. Recent, just prior to that, I had done, uh, and this is where you say, like, don't discount any job you've done. Right. A, a few years ago, YouTube was doing all kinds of little videos. Right. And they were financing it. And I did a show called D Studio. Okay. Which was just these, like two-minute dance sequences with a young dancer. Right. And that was somewhat multicam. It was maybe have 10 to 15 dance things. But it was very similar, but without the singing. It was just a dance performance. So I was like, just do it like that, you know? And I just hunkered down, you know? So you just go back to the basic things that you've learned about how a story is told, you know? And so I started, you know, just start with the wide shot and then make a pass insert in close ups go through the they shoot the special shots you know yeah. nice steady cam shots and you find those you know and you lay those in and then you maybe make another pass so i just like kept my head together and did what i i thought i knew to do and it wasn't perfect it's yeah. was like in 3 hours it couldn't have been perfect but it was together cool. enough that, uh, like, you when I gig. showed it, he was totally... And I didn't get the gig. Oh, you didn't? <laughs> that was a case... This is, like, another... Like, I like telling these stories because it's like... Uh, when you're a young editor, it's like you're really impatient. You really want to make this headway. Yeah. You, know? you really want to get these... It's so hard to break in. And, in and it's not that... It's not that they didn't think I did a good job. Right. But maybe there was another, there was another person, person they with knew or Yes, you, you never know? you never know. Who knows? But the, and I didn't even hear back. Right. And you didn't un- even hear back until 4 months later I got a call for another show they were producing. It was like a half hour sitcom and I got this amazing call where they said we're starting the show and we'd love for you to be one of the editors. That's amazing. It was one of the best what was the show? moments of my life. Uh, it is called The New Normal. I remember that. Yeah, That's yeah. what I was thinking it yeah. might be with um,
0: um, Andrew Reynolds. Andrew
1: Reynolds. And I had a great year of cutting that. It was my first television experience. Yeah. And based on that, the following year they needed an editor for Glee. And you were able to invite And they invited me on, on. to and move on to it. What
0: yeah. was the musical number that they asked you to cut? Uh,
1: I think it was. It was Rachel singing a song for Sectionals okay. in season three. Oh, wow. So it was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, it was like 2011 or right. something. Right, okay. Um, I think that's what it was. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember the song.
0: I love Leah Michelle as a performer. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Me too. You yeah.
0: don't need to know her in real life, but I do love her as a performer. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: uh, she's amazingly talented. So you know? good, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I mean,. People with that kind yeah. of talent, it's like lightning in a bottle, they just have it.
0: Um, Darren Chris blew up recently with the Andrew Canadon thing. That's amazing. Were you, based on working on Glee and knowing that, were you like, I, I could see I could see why he's so good at this. I, Did you know that he had I, that in him? It's
1: interesting. I I didn't know that he had that into him, but like getting back to the commitment thing yeah. I was talking like he was always a super committed yeah. uh, actor on Glee. Like he yeah. would always come prepared. Be yes. total, totally nailing everything, you know? And I think I talked to him at one point And the the way I thought he might have that kind of... Because he talked about... He came from theater background. Right. He ran a theater, I forget. I think it was in Chicago or something. Yeah. And then when he got the opportunity, he had, he had to put that a little bit on the right. back burner. Sure. But, um, like, talking to him, you could tell he was in... A, You know, had a real real actors, actor experience. Um, So, uh, yeah. Uh, And then seeing him things since that, like the Hedwig uh, uh, show he did was awesome. I didn't get to see that, but
0: he's so good in Cunanan. So good. Yeah, And it's
1: amazing, right? It's like going to open up more opportunities for him, you know?
0: Uh, What's it like to edit Jane Lynch? Does she crack you up when you're working on those Sue Sylvester scenes? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. She just disappears into the character, you yeah. know? She's just as, like, vile. and like yeah. she. It's that person, you know? And the things that come out of her mouth, you know? You can't... It's like, oh, my God.
0: When you're editing, how much genuine human reaction as a viewer do you have? Do, are there scenes that make you cry? Or do you find yourself laughing out loud very much? Or is it is it because you're putting a puzzle together that that sort of takes a back seat.
1: Absolutely. I mean, yeah, to some extent you're going to really react to something like emotionally, you know? Yeah. Um, and sometimes I'll just like watch. I like, if something really moves me or something, yeah. I'll watch it repeatedly. You yeah. Know? I like having that reaction. So I get a little, and as an editor, I like to go through things again and again yeah. and again to hone it down. But Yeah, I'll laugh at stuff. I mean, it's definitely true that, like, you see the structure of things and you see how it's put together, so it's, like, it's hard to completely disappear into that world, but, you know, things are totally moving to me that are moving. Do you ever ever cry? Uh, Occasionally, I do cry. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, certain moments, it depends on, it depends on what it is you know um working honestly I, the most i've been in that place was like working on this documentary i did about vito russo yes a few years ago jeffrey Schwartz directed Jeff it jeffrey Schwartz directed it is a documentary we did for yeah. hbo that i edited and um you know that was just a moving experience and you could really feel the the responsibility on that, because I mean, Vito is just an amazing person. Right. He, his, his legacy and his accomplishments are so huge. And, you know, the third act of that movie where it's like, uh, Vito, uh, has contracted AIDS along with his boyfriend, Jeffrey. Right. And, you know, to be a part of telling that story. And sometimes you can't help just be like reacting on a human level. Yeah. to Like the, Vulnerability that they're going through, and then knowing it's real—like this
0: really, these were real people, that this really happened.
1: Absolutely, you know, it's hard not to 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 feel that, you know, and uh, you know, it's like it's always. Sometimes it can be surprising what moves you. What takes you you back? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes
0: musical things will make me cry, even if they're not sad. Sometimes because it's so yeah. Uh there's so many senses coming yeah. at you.
1: Speaking of uh Darren Chris and Leah Michelle, um on the last episode of Glee Ever, um uh which I was lucky to edit, um Darren Chris, I think he was nominated for an Emmy for a song he wrote for Leah Michelle
0: uh, oh, wow. for
1: that episode. And um that really kind of choked me up, you know, because it's like it's her saying goodbye, but it's also um you know, like those actors really went through a lot on yeah. the show, you know. They got
0: famous, they lost so people. You can really
1: feel it, you yeah. Know? And uh, so uh, and the song was really beautiful.
0: What was it like for you to edit the Curtin Blaine stuff? I mean, I would think as somebody as a gay for me, it was a gay person growing up, there wasn't anything like that on T V. And then to find myself like helping to tell the story in a way would be moving.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, over the years, I feel really lucky that I've got to work on a lot of projects that actually have, uh, LGBT components, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I've worked on Glee, of course, right. uh, doing their stuff. And it's like, there's like a wedding scene in Glee that actually choked me up and yeah. it's like, we're blaming that. It's, I mean, it's ridiculous, you right. know, ridiculous because it's like, I don't want to get married, you yeah. know, but it's like, I couldn't help but be choked up because it, it just felt yeah. really special, you know? But like, I loved like the first film I ever cut, Die, Mommy, Die. Yeah. Charles uh, Bush film. With Charles Bush, you know, yeah, who's one of the most amazing drag performers in history, you know? And I was lucky enough to somehow have that job fall into my lap. Um, so being able to cut his performance, um, several, like I've done a bunch of documentaries that have had LGBT content. And I mean, it's, I really like working on stuff that has, that that has that kind of meaning. has a larger meaning. Yeah, exactly.
0: I made a few short films and on one of them in particular, Through the editing process, I sort of started, I I started developing a major crush on this person, (laughs) like, um, but it was the the exposure to it, and it's kind of like, you're living with these people, but they're not there. It's like, you develop a connection with people, right? Yeah, And characters.
1: Well, it's funny, too, because, like, uh, I mean, I think there's a common editor thing, like, you go to the wrap party or whatever, you know? And like you feel like you, go you, to, you feel like you know you go them up all to these actors, and right. you're like, hey, do you want them to be receiving yeah. you in the same way. We have spent four weeks because together. You really, you really care about them, yes. you know, and like. You know, you saw them, like, have to really go deep for a certain moment right. and stuff, and you you were there for them yeah. to, to make sure it landed. Right. And then they give you this puzzled look. Like, like who are you? who the hell are you? <laughs> and it's kind of shattering. It is. I
0: know. Yeah. That's not fun. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite <laughs> musical number on Glee? I think the one for me that comes to mind is Teenage Dream, because we meet Darren Chris, and I just love the arrangement of that song. But I bet there are others. i not That's
1: to say, because I don't know, yeah. like, the whole history of them. I, I mainly know the ones... What's that, the, what, was, was the, the one that you worked that, on that you thought was really fun? The ones that I did, you know? Yeah. Uh, I had different... There was, like, a Muppet, uh, yeah. a puppet-based episode yeah. that I really loved working on, um, and uh, 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 so that was great, because I love yeah. the Muppets, you know, yeah. and I love to be... But there was, like... Uh, uh, you know, so many, so many. So in a way, it's like there's, it's like a blur. It's so in much, my, yeah. In my head. Yeah, it's like, I, I understand. I love them, and I go back to be reminded. Yeah, but like I love doing the the first, like I first episode I did was a Stevie Wonder episode. Oh wow! Okay. Do those songs? Yeah, I did a Beatles episode. Yeah, which was amazing. Um, uh, so yeah.
0: If there's a season like Glee, say it had like 20 episodes a season or something like that, yeah. how many editors in your position would there be for a show like that and a season like that?
1: Like, that's what we had. We had like 23 episodes. Right. Except the last year, I think it was 13, but we had three editors.
0: Right. Three? Um, th- only three? And then with assistants? Yep. So, assistants. wow. So
1: you each it basically it one rotates. Two, three, one,
0: two, three. One, only two, three. three? That seems like not very many.
1: Yeah, it works out. It's it's just enough time for everybody to get there. Because you're working on an episode, and then the other editors are taking on their episodes, and then your next episode is coming down the pike. Yeah. And sometimes that can be really crazy. On Mr. Robot, I basically lived with three episodes for the whole season, where it was like...
0: Talk about jumble in your brain. Yeah, it was yeah.
1: that was that was pretty intense because it's like you're working on one, and then suddenly they need you to be, and you have to just re. Okay, where am I now? And yeah, just get to work. Yeah.
0: When I see actors doing an amazing job, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of in awe of what they're able to do. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my god, what, what that person is able to do. Just mm-hmm. as a viewer, mm-hmm. you must experience that a lot, or else you kind of get used to it. Everyone's professional, but like. I'm kind of in awe of actors. I think they're kind of magical people. No,
1: I know. And actually, it's like thinking of those musical sequences, you know, where sometimes they're doing like a long section in one take, you know? And everybody has to be in position. Right. And giving the just the right reaction and timing with music and everything. And to to also be projecting that they're alive and, yeah. and there it's amazing. You yeah. Know? I, it's, it's funny. I, I, this is like one of those weird little editing guilty pleasures. Cause uh, La La Land. I love that. Yeah. Uh, like I love watching the opening of La La Land or, um, a face in the crowd. Yeah. Because those performers and there's so much choreography as they right. get into position, also, with the camera.
0: Right. The camera's and being choreographed. All of
1: the timing is happening. Yeah. And there's these flourishes and this rhythm and energy. And it's so much fun to just watch repeatedly and, mm-hmm. and marvel. Or and at see, like, oh, doing. I
0: bet they made it on a cut and there. And marvel at what, what they're
1: doing. And that can be a much more subtle thing, too, yeah. where at the beginning of a scene, they have to be acting like everything's normal, yeah. right? And they aren't about to go through anything, you yeah. know? And then something happens. And you, it, it's like they, literally, it seems to be happening to them. Yeah. And then they do it again in take two. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing, yeah.
0: It's miraculous. Um, when you get, I was reading about Mr. Robot in the episode you did. Sometimes they're like, well, we want to do this in one long take. Is it like, okay, <laughs> that's fine with me. It's less work. When you see something is done in one long t- take, or you are like, okay, less work for me? Or,
1: well, or do you have to make sure that everything depends. around supports it supports kind of, it? Yeah, you kind of have to make... I mean, sometimes that happens. That can be somewhat true, you know. But often, like, there's a lot of hidden things in a single take. Yeah. Because you're also doing, like, a lot of sound work. To yeah. kind of, like, figure out how to sell all of that. Right. Because if you just took that one take often and just threw it up there, it's like it wouldn't necessarily work. Right. There might be know? some little
0: cracks in the...
1: You, you need to, like, fortify that. Yeah, fortify And it's not always clear how you're going to fortify that right. or what it needs, you know? Yeah. You have to kind of figure that out. Yeah. Um, so, and sometimes, like, what seems like a one take is yeah. also, like, many takes sort of sewn together yeah. with the visual effects. Yeah, takes, they, they have a know? little trick, yeah. Um, so there was, like, this really long take in Mr. Robot yeah. where underlying it all and hopefully this seems invisible to the audience but like basically it's this sort of heist scene that i mentioned earlier where basically they're sneaking into the fbi offices and trying to sneak their way through there right and they're on phones and they're on computers and uh you know like we we had to like completely create the telephone conversation and lay that in, and get the timing right, and then we had music underneath the whole thing too, and so we had to do music editing to make the, like when there's not talking, to make that come to life, and so there's like a lot of subtleties in that, that can be its own pleasure too. Yeah, Um, I, if, if I have a weakness like, though like in editing, it's like I have to remind myself sometimes not to cut Because I have a tendency to want to cut, you know? And uh, I think the most important thing you can remind yourself as an editor is to cut for a reason. Yeah. Because if you actually have a reason, the audience is generally going to go with the cut. you you know, Because they'll feel the logic that you were going with, the reasoning. But if you don't have a reason, you're just sort of cutting for effect or something it's gonna seem weird or something. I think it it generally is gonna stop out. But you know, and I'm always sort of looking for okay, like, when is that view when is the viewer gonna wanna know what that reaction is, you know? Yeah. And sometimes I go for it a little too much, you know, but I think that's part of the process, you know, because it's like At least we tried that, and then we can pull back from it. Right, Right, and every
0: creator is going to have their own vision for it. And
1: working on Glee, where it's, like, very poppy, you know, like, we like all the edits, you know, and, like, really making the thing pop along. Yeah. As opposed to something like Mr. Robot, where it's, like... And you may when, want the viewer to feel uncomfortable. You want them to be... Like, you don't want them to know where they are all the time. Yeah. And so, it's like, that was a big learning curve for me on Yeah, that's a big lot, shift gear. Was, gear shift. Was sort of learning, like, to to sort of trust that it was okay. Yeah. Because I... To sit I get, in that discomfort. I, it's like, as an editor, I get a little scared. Yeah. Because if I'm not giving something new... Yeah. I feel like, you yeah. know, people are going to get bored or something, you yeah. know? But... I think, like, that's um, a skill to be developed as an editor, yeah. um, like everything else, is to actually trust that it's, it's okay not to, to cut. It's cut. And, in fact, that can often, like, engage the viewer really mm-hmm. more. And, and you keep developing that skill of really um, knowing when the audience is caught up to you yeah. or, or ahead of you, which is you don't want that to.
0: Right, they they know everything's gonna happen. In my limited experience making short films and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I loved being, I loved working on a scene and going, "There's a problem here," and then figuring out how to solve it with an editing choice. Mm-hmm. Like that always was kind of like, "Ooh, it was like solving a puzzle." Is is that part of what you feel that's, when you do your job?
1: That's one of the most fun things about editing. Yeah. It really is like this puzzle, you know, right. where you can like. Really make a choice, yeah. That shifts how things are going to work, you know. Right. I mean, even like I remember going back to Die, Mommy, Die, yeah. Like we had this scene where it just was not working. It was the final confrontation between Charles Bush um, as Angela Arden yeah. and her her ex husband or her husband who was supposed to be dead, right? And this giant confrontation, and she sort of turned away melodramatically and we couldn't figure our way out of it you know and eventually and this sort of goes to like how malleable editing could be we realized if we took that shot of her turning away and we reversed it and maybe slowed it down just a little bit it was suddenly like a dramatic turn towards camera right now
0: she's taking something on yeah
1: and she's taking it on and then she had this big speech after that. And it, it it's like finding that moment yeah. where it was like because of the way she turned and reversing the footage it suddenly gave it this gravitas yeah. that like opened up her being able to give that speech. And you're doing that kind of thing all the time. I it's love like that. it's the most fun. I know.
0: It feels like you've discovered something or you have yeah. solved the problem. Talk to me about going from doing independent and sort of documentaries to Getting into a network television show because I think for a lot of independent artists, whether they're writers or anything, making that, crossing that bridge uh, into this sort of studio world, yeah. prime time world is a, is a challenge.
1: Well, I mean, I I like to think of myself as sort of like a slow and steady person, you right? Know? And like so, basically, I was working. I spent the first ten years of my career was an assistant editor, right, and then I spent the next ten years working on you know fairly low budget independent films, documentaries, which have very sized budgets, and then even things like um you know d v d behind the scenes right you know? and uh you know it's it's it can be difficult because of course we all want that huge first success you right. know. And the money isn't as good as you would like it to be, you know? Right. But, like, I kind of thank God for that I had those years, you know? Right. Because I really learned, even working on, like, those DVD things, right. you learn about storytelling, you learn about, you know, I, I remember the first time doing those DVD things crying because I did not understand how to make them. Like, I was just getting so frustrated with editing them. It's like I had experience, but I wasn't quite ready to... Right, you felt like you weren't... To understand the storytelling and how to tell a story. And that's what you're doing, even though it's DVD behind the scenes. You have to tell a story A, B, C. And every story is different, so it has different requirements. Right. And like I really feel like those years were my like mentorship. My, like your like training ground. I really learned how to edit and I really learned by having to de- deliver, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, because it's it can be a little abstract, you know? Like I learned a lot in film school, mm-hmm. but I don't think it was until I had to deliver yeah. that my brain really like started working, you know? Yeah. And like, okay, I got to figure this out, you know, or else I'm just going to get, yeah. you know, out of here. Um, so I'm so grateful for those years. And I always say that like cutting documentary is like the best training. If you can cut a documentary, you can cut anything. If you can find a story and all that footage, um, granted, it's a little different because you're dealing with performance and other things in theatrical, but it's like that underlying storytelling. It really, uh, follows through, you know? And, uh, I mean, I won't lie, like getting the opportunity to do television, it has really shifted things for me, you know? I mean, I've been working consistently since I've gotten into television. It's all been union work, which has been a great uh, boost, you know? Um, But it's like, I always want to like tell younger people because it's easy to get frustrated, right? Ira Glass, uh, the host of this Mm -hmm. movie, he has this big, uh, he has this, Podcast he did where well it was probably This American Life where he talks about like spending the years like catching up to your taste you know because when you oh, first start you want to do these great things but you just don't have the ability yet right. you know or you're like in the hierarchy right. waiting for your slot to show up you know yeah and it's frustrating but you know I think the thing it's, it's corny but it's like the things that are hard those are the most meaningful, important things, you know? And it's like by really putting in the time and the hours, especially with editing, there's so many subtleties. Yeah. Um, it, it really, it, 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 made it. So it wasn't effortless, but like, uh, it was a pleasure getting into television on that and into uh, shows of that level, yeah. you know, as opposed to like, Uh, I was never terrified in the same, I've never been terrified in the same way I was cutting those little 15 minute pieces in the beginning, you know, because I'd been through uh, that whole learning process. Because you developed your craft. Yeah.
0: How did you get that first TV job?
1: Uh, basically the producer of my first feature editing credit, Die, Mommy, Die. Yeah. A guy named Dante DiLoretto. Yeah. A great guy. He was one of the producers of Glee. Right. Uh, and, uh, I just kept connected with him. So, uh, it was like nine years later and he arranged the meetings for me to meet the post producers awesome. of Glee and... It took like two or three years from then, but... I. But it was sort of staying in touch. Staying in touch and developing your skills around staying in touch without nagging... Without being a pain in the ass. ...is really important, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Say you're going to reach out to somebody like that. Is it because, oh, I wanted to let you know I'm doing this project, or how are things going? Like, what do you say in that email when the point is... Remember me? Yeah. <laughs> Which is you know, and I it's...
1: always uh, my rule of thumb was to always do it after I'd finished something, you yeah. Know? Because when you finish something, you're feeling pretty good, too, you know? So you feel like, oh, I did this thing. I do do that
0: a little bit. Like, sometimes when I have a little victory, I'm like, okay, make those hard phone calls. Do that thing that you've been putting off while you're on a high. Because,
1: like, two months later, you feel sort of like, oh, I'm no good. Oh, wait, I'm a loser. (laughs) I woke up
0: and I'm, like, a loser again. Shit, okay.
1: And you feel like you're going to be sort of forced. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're calling all your friends. What do I say, you know? Um, so it was always that. Like just wanted to yeah. uh, touch base, just finished this project. Uh and you know, if I'd seen something that they'd done recently, I'd try yeah. to say I saw this, I thought it was great, you know, and uh uh if you ever need help, would love to be a part of what you're doing. That's you know? cool. Like in editing and all things, like being helpful is such an important thing, you know. I continue I feel like even as an editor, it's like, I always go in with that mentality of I'm there to be to be yeah. help, helping, you know? And it lets me, like, it's like, if you can really internalize that, because on, on anything I do, I'm so involved that, of course, I'm going to do something creative right. and interesting. Yeah, I'm, that's that goes without saying. It's just going to happen, you know? Yeah. So, if I dwell on that for like at all, it's like it starts pulling pulling me down. You yeah, know? it's like the people can sense it, and then it's like yeah. Then you, you have a different agenda it's than they have chemistry, yeah. you know, and it's yeah. like that doesn't help anyone. And yeah. it's actually good to be helpful, you know.
0: I was part of this writers' access project program at the Writers Guild, where they sort of groom you to tr- to be in writer's rooms and stuff. And one of the things that they they sort of talked about and really stayed with me is that your job is to help the showrunner realize their vision. Mm-hmm. Your job isn't to take it in your own yeah. direction, to bring all this no. up. No, your job is to help them. Yeah. And if you approach your editing like that, no wonder they love you. Yeah. Because your creativity is going to come out anyway. And that's, that's, that's part the of case
1: it. for everybody. The directors yeah. who come in, you yeah. know? Like, who, like, what director doesn't want to be making their own feature film right. and be the guy or, yeah. or woman, you know? But, you know, on television, you have to yeah like be able to bring in the material that the producer can do whatever they want with it, you right know? so um and you know like the producer's <laughs> notice if yeah. the, if anyone's not doing that you know did you ever you did you ever do
0: reality? No. Because I, I noticed that on your resume. I'm like, oh, he doesn't have any of those sh- reality No, shows.
1: I, I think I was lucky. <laughs> I consider I think, myself I, like I, I think so, I've too. I've never been a I I can... I like reality from afar. Yes. Like, I like competition shows, like, So You Think You Can Dance. I love it. Or, where you... Like, I love seeing the skill that goes yeah. into that stuff. I'm a little less, like, enamored by just the the social drama-type reality yeah. shows. Yeah. But actually, it's like, I can see that they're interesting because, I mean, I, I know it's like they're a little window on human nature as well, yeah. even if they're completely faked.
0: Was it a conscious decision not to go down that road?
1: Mm, well, I think, like, uh, you know, I always love movies, so yeah. of course I wanted to be in movies. And out of film school I managed to be an assistant editor on films. Yeah. And I think that helped me avoid it cuz some of even some You
0: got you got a foothold in that world.
1: Yeah, exactly. And even like working on American Psycho I know. like that helped me kind of like convince people that I should be doing the film jobs and that kind of thing. I so, didn't
0: see that movie until many years later, but
1: I love it. It's it really What's your favorite st- memory really of working on that? The, the test of time, you know.
0: It's so Well, I watched it and I was like this director had a vision. Absolutely. Like, that's what I was, I was most talked yeah. out by.
1: No, Mary Heron, who directed it, yeah. who was a, a woman, um, amazingly talented director, and she really has a vision for everything that she's doing, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, my favorite memory was just, uh, you know, just uh, uh, working on it. Like, I got to do all these temp sound effects, like, for uh chainsaws and helicopters and yeah. things and one day actually christian bale came to the cutting room oh and fun recorded some and he was like that was probably like i don't get very starstruck right. but he was like so handsome
0: well and he was in and, the hottest shape at and that he time
1: was, but it was like it was kind of after like oh, it was gotcha. a, a couple months later yeah so he wasn't as tight which, right he was more handsome. Right. He was more relaxed looking. Yeah. And he was like the sweetest guy. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of a nice. Uh, celebrity, That's a nice little memory. Celebrity running. I love
0: that. All right. You pick some questions from the observation deck. What's the first TV program you remember recording on a VCR or DVR?
1: Oh, uh, I'm. Sh- it wasn't a TV program, but like I tape recorded the the Star Wars off the off the television. I and I that. had the art of Star Wars book. Right. And it had fallen apart. Eventually, I had to get three ring hooks to hold it all together. Oh, my gosh. And I used to watch it and go through this with the script yeah. in front of me. like. So were you recording the, the
0: audio from the actual movie?
1: Well, I did that, too. I did the audio, and then I did I did a VHS because okay. eventually it was on VHS. Yeah. Uh, um, so, yeah.
0: Star Wars. So you're a big Star Wars person. I
1: was a big Star Wars. I was like in Kentucky in the yeah. 80s and those movies. Is that where you grew up? They saved Kentucky? My life, yeah. <laughs> what, what kind of community? Uh, I was just a suburban yeah. Kentucky. My dad worked for IBM. Alright, yeah.
0: cool. Um, what was your lowest point professionally? You picked that one.
1: Oh, I was fired from a documentary that I was hired to edit. Um, uh, a I would call it my lowest point, although at this time, like, it's been 15 years, you know? But it was, like, a moment where um, I'd been doing some good things, kind of in smaller, short form. Right. And I had cut a feature, um, uh, Die, Mommy, Die, so... um, You felt like you were on your way. I was ready to go, and they went out on a line and hired me, and I just wasn't ready. I yeah. hadn't. I didn't have enough experience. I did. I really did not know how to do it, <laughs> and uh, like I froze up in that editing room. It was uh, like bad. Wow. Um, like, and I was like, I, the anxiety was really hard because yes. it started like piling up on me. Right. Piling up and on and, me, and yes. Know? And uh, so I had to kind of go through. Like I went to the guy and I was like, I'm not. This isn't coming together, and like yeah. he was like, "Well, let's look at it," and he he let me go. He was really nice. How far about, into the project you? He was really nice about it. It had been like a couple while. months, you yeah. know, and uh, he was really gracious about it. Um, but um, it's it, you know, it's like I like telling that story. It's like not my happiest moment, but yeah. like I feel good about how I reacted to it. It's yeah, like I gave myself time. I remember Die, Mommy, Die was at Frameline that yeah. year, so I went, I wasn't going to go to it, yeah. but I suddenly had the opportunity to take that trip and enjoy that. Be part of that. And then I just got on board, you know, again, and just was like, well, this, I got to keep learning, you know? Yeah. And it's like, failure is, is a good teacher, you know? And yeah. it's like, it kept me in there, and... um yeah, I'm really – Jeffrey Schwartz, who you mentioned, I'm really yes. grateful. We're old friends, but yeah. um, he's been a really – he was, like, such a great mentor. And, um, you know, I cut, like, several of his documentaries. Yeah. And uh, it just feels so good that he um, sort of supported me. Yeah, supports this to, to be an editor.
0: That's amazing. Um, when was the first time you saw a dirty magazine or video?
1: Um, I think it was um my brother had moved out of my bedroom right. when oh. he went into college. Oh, and he forgot. And my parents like built a bedroom for him in the back of the garage because he's yeah. college now. He yeah. couldn't afford to be in the dorms, you right. know. But he worked for this Learjet Jet Company. Okay. Uh just as a job. Like he would, you know, he's one of the guys who would clean up the the cockpits or whatever, to use a word. And, uh, like, apparently those wealthy people, they really wanted a lot of porn magazines. So they were always stocked in porn magazines. And my brother, cleaning up and they would get, so he would would get the me downs and I would, when he wasn't around, I would sneak into his room and yeah. find his pornography. And
0: that's what uh, I do with my older brothers. Take it away, really. Like yeah, I remember yeah. We and Hustler. Yeah, and I know he had Penthouse. he had
1: Penthouse, um, which uh, was my favorite because it had uh, pictorials with both men and yeah, women. occasionally a couple. Yeah, and Forum I loved yeah. in the, the letters in the eighties. Yeah, and uh, but he also had some really like like the worst pornography. Yeah. Imaginable. But you would have to make sure it looked
0: exactly the same when he came back. You'd have to make it right? Yeah. He didn't pretty
1: much. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: What photo of yourself do you hope no one ever sees again, ever, ever, ever?
1: Uh yeah, I shouldn't have pulled that card. Oh, it was a mistake? (laughs) Everyone's gonna go look for this picture? Uh, I will just say, no, it's not possible, but like in my college years. Right. And a little bit after, I had a Polaroid camera.
0: Right. And I was in
1: sort of an arty phase. Why not? You know?
0: You're in college. And
1: uh, I took a certain amount of uh, uh, self-portraits. Artistic? Without uh, any clothing. clothing? Yeah. Okay. And... Uh, Yeah, I have to destroy those. You invented the nude selfie. I have to destroy those before I pass away. Sometimes I panic with my cleaning person. Like, where are they?
0: (laughs) I I gotcha. What's the most trouble you ever got in in school?
1: I never got in trouble at school because um, I was pretty invisible. I was a quiet kid, you know? And I was off doing my little movie stuff a lot. But once on the way to school... uh, there w- we would walk to school and there was one of those standalone ATM centers. Yeah. And in the 80s, they had like a window that would come up and down.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, one, it was like a winter day. So we went in there like w- while we were waiting and because uh, uh, it was cold, we wanted before we got all the way to school and we jiggled that window and like the cavalry came. Like oh there was gosh. like six police cars because it's a Sirens, ba- it's like a robbing a bank. Sirens are blaring, and the first wave came, and they uh, they uh, realized, oh, this is stupid. Go yeah. go to school, but then like suddenly this other car, and I swear this happened. This other car, police car, came swooping in. The guy leaped out, pulled his gun on us, and said, "Hold it, punk! You ain't going nowhere."
0: That's so amazing. Yeah,
1: and. Uh, yeah, it
0: was that good. might be the name pretty, of this podcast. Pretty terrifying. I love that. What's your favorite song to dance to?
1: Oh, uh, my favorite song to dance to right now is Another Day of Sun. From, uh,
0: oh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if you had to change careers tomorrow, what would you pursue?
1: I would pursue something that was like completely outside. I think, uh,
0: Outside in the outside
1: outdoors, yeah, like as an editor, yeah, you're completely. I know it's in like a, a cave room for like twelve hours a day, you right? Know? And I think I would like pursue gardening or like uh, uh, landscape design, yeah, or something. You know, something cool. where I was like outside and uh, uh, or you know maybe I could be like. Uh, uh, tour guide you know yeah. i would love to be a tour guide because then you get to interact with people which i love
0: you get to share things uh, that you like um,
1: yeah or to be honest and this is one area that i'm working on now a little bit is like i would be a documentary director
0: i know i want to uh, hear about this yeah. documentary that you're working on
1: oh cool yeah uh, yeah it's uh i've been sort of slow but steady because i've been pretty busy with my editing of course but um and I say that because it's, it, so far it's been an outside experience because directing, it's like you aren't just in the room, you're out talking yeah. to people and filming with people. But I've been developing a documentary about Jonathan Ned Katz. And I don't know he wrote, he, he wrote a book called Gay American History in 1976. Wow. Which is like, it really is the pioneering book of Gay history, right? Um, it's this huge archival book. No one had done anything like it at the time, yeah. And basically, he just started going to libraries, to NYU Library, uh, New York Public Library, and he started researching. And he spent years researching this this stuff. And he 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 pulled it together into this amazing um, first like stab at really establishing what the history of same attracted people is in America you know um, but I just uh, I had met him a few years ago related to going to New York for Vito. right I had read his book in college right and really admired it he's one, still alive he's still alive he's wow. 80, he's 80 this year Wow um, and um, yeah he's just a fascinating guy when he was 13 his um, uh, he was in he had a photo spread in Life magazine. That he was um, in, he he was doing a home movie version of Tom Sawyer oh, wow. in his uh, brownstone in Greenwich Village, right? And it's this amazing spread of him screaming at the other kids and everything. And um, his father was an ad man, but he was also in the Communist Party, and he actually has an FBI file. Um, and you know, it's like it's really the story of, of you know, because Jonathan came of an age when like homophobia, you know, homophobia was rampant and he really internalized his homophobia. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's his story of really coming to terms with it, you know, and, um, you know, through gay liberation that happened in the seventies. Right. And then really becoming a part of that and all these amazing accomplishments he's done. Um, he's also a painter, an artist, so, uh, that sort of like bridges all the years when he was younger, he did these really intuitive, uh, paintings, but now as an, as a, uh, older man, he's doing a lot of like male nude, uh, uh, drawing and painting, which he really, you know, it's like a positive affirmation, but he also talks about it as a political, mm-hmm. uh, action, you know, um, Cause, you know it's like people have their assumptions about what to expect you know from uh him or someone his age and he's right. like uh like pleasurably defiant you know? I love that so uh yeah I've been... have you done interviews with him already absolutely I've been uh working on it like I've spent like it's been four years but I've spent like ten day periods with him filming oh wow doing interviews yeah it's exciting right now I'm trying to put together a uh, like a fundraising yeah. reel like 10 minute reel but um, yeah I'm excited yeah, there you go it, yeah. well,
0: if it's, somebody's listening to this and they want to donate to that yeah, what should I, they do I'm
1: looking for, for uh, any donors who are supporting LGBT visibility and documentaries so um, you can reach out to me at right on my uh, email or uh, yeah, should, prepare, I, yeah. should I say it yeah if you want uh, it, it's so convoluted. Uh, son of Flip at mindspring dot com. Son
0: of Flip. Yeah. S O N O F.
1: S O N O F F L I P. Okay. At mindspring.com. Mind Spring dot com.
0: Remember mindspring? That's like yeah. I little, still
1: have it. <laughs> I still oh, please. I
0: still have AOL. It's embarrassing. I know. Right? I keep waiting for it to be cool again, like you know, it went out like vinyl. Um, I just
1: have a hard time changing. It. I'm yeah. with you.
0: I'm with you. Um it's been really fun to talk to you. Is oh, there anything else you Thank want to tout you. or plug or mention? No, this has been right. wonderful. Yeah. Hey, all right. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me, Dennis.
0: Um, my final question, why do you love editing?
1: Um, you know, I think I love editing because I love being a part of something um bigger than myself, you know. And oh, that's um, nice. the pleasure of editing, it really is what you were talking about earlier. Like you can Go to that creative place and get lost for like all those hours. It can be a problem sometimes, you know. Right. And I think a lot of creative people have that problem of like remembering the rest of the world, you know? Right. Uh but it's like when you get into that creative place, yeah, and all the material is in front of you, it's like for me, there's nothing like it. It's a real pleasure.
0: Love it. Yeah. Well, it's been super fun to talk to you. Thanks, um, we'll we'll uh, watch for your name in these TV shows and everything, and your documentary. <laughs> okay, bye. bye. Thanks again to Philip Harrison. Check out 13 Reasons Why on Netflix, and think of Philip when you admire a particularly inspired cut or sequence. Um, so this happened. Um, speaking of editing, um, I'm going to be uh, launching a sort of pre-order campaign with my partner, Jeb Havens, on our game, You Don't Know My Life, right? So we shot a promo video for it a few weeks ago. It actually, it was early in May, so it's been over a month. But I've been editing it in iMovie. I'm not super high-tech, but I'm so into it. I'm really. I'm editing it. The other night, I stayed up till 6 in the morning because it's just so addictive. It's like, oh, I get to go do that again. So um, I'm really excited to share it with people. That'll be coming your way within the next month for sure. And I will talk about it ad nauseum. The other thing is I've been having trouble with my voice for quite a while. Um, I, uh, have done this. I'm on my second round of antibiotics and, um, it doesn't seem to be working. So I apologize for any weirdness in the way that I sound hoarseness or whatever. I'm working on it. Um, so I don't know. That's all I have to say, but I have like two antibiotics left out of this two week cycle. And I'm like, come on guys, you got to do this. (laughs) You got to bring it home. I don't know. I'm not too helpful, but, um, Anyway, I'll keep trying to figure it out. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye!